it's not him, it's us. And so, so let's, let's talk a little bit about this. Exodus chapter 15, verse number 22 says this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah or Mara, they could not drink because it was bitter. That's why the place was called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw the wood into the water and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what's right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I want to talk from this subject in our time together today, family. Healing what doesn't hurt. <laughs> Healing what doesn't hurt. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, I have unapologetically an interest in video games. I have such an interest in video games that I would rather play golf on my Xbox than play golf in real life. I love video games. And so <laughs> I'm an Xbox guy, and, but recently one of my mentees from Tampa introduced me to computer gaming. And he began to articulate to me how different the experience was and how I needed to potentially put my foot in the water of computer gaming. So I did so. I had my son, uh, Gabe, who has, who's into computer gaming, uh, tell his mom what I needed to get, and they got me that, and I put my foot in the water, and I played, and I enjoyed it. And so I was talking again to my mentee, who then informed me there's another level. I said, okay. So he put together a list of what I needed. I went to a store. They built the system for me. I picked it up myself, put it in the buggy myself, put all the boxes in the truck myself, drove it, put it upstairs myself, and then realized I can't do nothing else. I don't know how to assemble this. I don't know. I know how to play this. This is all I know how to do. And this is way more complicated than the previous system. So family, those boxes with that customized gaming system sat in the floor of my room for three months. Until I was having a conversation with my wife and I said, I got to find somebody who can put this together for me. And she mentioned a gentleman who's a part of our team here named Carlton. I said, Carlton? She said, yeah, Carlton. I'm going to ask Carlton, does he know? And so the other day, I am getting ready to go up the stairs in my house. I see Carlton walking through the front door. I said, Carlton, what you here to do? He said, I'm here to put your video game together. I said, do you know how to do computer gaming? He was like, yeah. I was like, oh, I know he's a tech director at our church. But I didn't know you knew how to put gaming systems together. I knew what some of his expertise was. 
but there was some additional ability he possessed that I wasn't aware of, so I didn't benefit from. And so it took me getting a revelation of something he could always do, but wasn't doing for me. Because I didn't know he could do it at all. I didn't ask him to do it for me. Maybe you're not catching the metaphor. Because what I did with Carlton is what many of us do with Christ. There, there are some things you are aware of that are in the arena of his ability. You know he can save you. You know he can provide. You know he can deliver. But I came to tell you that there are aspects of his existence and his ability that you are potentially unaware of. And because you're unaware of it, you're not benefiting from it. And sometimes God has to arrange a situation to give you a revelation of a part of him that's always existed that you didn't know could benefit you. And I, I don't know what it is that you know about God. I don't know what box you have placed your God in, but I want to introduce you to an aspect of his existence that I think is extremely important yet often overlooked. Yes, he's the God who saves. Yes, he's the God who gives peace. Yes, he's the God who will be with you. Yes, he is Jehovah Maccabees, the Lord who will sanctify you. Yes, he is the Lord who will raise your banner in victory, Jehovah Nisi. Yes, he is Jehovah Jaira, the one that will provide but I want to tell you what this text teaches us and that is in addition to all of that he is Jehovah Rapha that is the Lord who heals he heals and if we are not aware of this we will not benefit from this this is why the enemy wants to keep us out of awareness. He wants to keep us, watch this, excited yet ignorant. This is the way Paul describes that. He says, that means you have a zeal, but the zeal is not based on knowledge. He says, he says, it's an excitement without information instead of an excitement that comes from information. You see, this is, this is why sometimes, because I believe when you're preaching, everything should preach. But this is why sometimes I have to catch myself. I might jump or run or skip, right? Because the information is causing me to get excited because I know revelation produced transformation. Did you hear what I just said? I, I know that once you've been exposed, you can't be unexposed. I know the devil's mad when the light bulb goes off. I know the enemy wants me uninformed because if I'm uninformed, I won't be able to experience all that God has ordained for my life. And God is the God who heals and if we don't have this revelation, we'll find ourselves in situations where we're settling for circumstances that we don't have to settle for or settle in. But settling becomes easy when settling is normal. 
But this text introduces us to an aspect of God's existence that I think is extremely important. It is found here contextually in the book of Exodus. And I've told you this, that the book of that the word Exodus means exit. Therefore, the content contained in this book reveals how God provides an exit for his people out of Egyptian slavery. If God is the God of exits, that means you're never trapped. You may feel trapped. It may look trapped. But if there is not a way, he will create a way because he's the God of exits. And this story is so incredibly amazing to me because as God is making an exit for Israel out of Egypt, Pharaoh, who initially released them, has a change of heart and he tries to recapture what God has redeemed. He attempted, <laughs> I'll come back to that. I said they're set free and then Pharaoh has a change of heart because he wants the freedom to be temporary. So he tries to recapture the redeemed. I've been redeemed, but Pharaoh, who's a metaphor for the enemy, wants to recapture me. And I want you to see this. He wants to recapture them not because he has personal affection for them, but he wanted to continue to exploit them. Here's what the text says, Exodus 14, 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. So he wasn't upset because he lost them. He was upset because he lost what they could do for him. I'm not going to bother this. Yes, I am. I'm going to bother it a little bit. See, this teaches us that just because somebody's pursuing you doesn't mean they want you. See, sometimes they're pursuing you not because of your character, but because of your services. And it was only in your absence that they got a revelation of the value you were providing. And now that you're gone, they're trying to recapture you and present it like they miss you when they actually miss what you were doing for them. Now watch this. I'm not even saying this is evil. I'm saying you need to be aware of this so that when you're aware of it, you don't treat Pharaoh like he a friend. Because some people are not friends. They're just managing your relationship like you're a service provider. Here, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> here it is. Here it is. So Pharaoh's pursuing them. And Israel finds th themselves in a quandary because they're heading out of Egypt. And God led them out a very specific way. In Exodus 13, 18, it says, so God led the people around by the desert toward the Red Sea. So the Israelites went out, up, out of Egypt ready for battle. So many of you are familiar with this story and the Israelites being stuck by the Red Sea. This text teaches us that they're stuck there because God led them that way. He led them toward the Red Sea. So you've heard it, Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's behind them, and they're confused because they're obedient, but their obedience ran them into an obstacle. 
Let's stop a minute because I want to see where the honest and authentic people are who will admit that sometimes I felt like it was not my disobedience that got me in trouble. Have you ever felt like you ended up in a bad situation even when you made the right decision? It's like I didn't do to them what they did to me and they still look like they got off better than me. He's at... at the Red Sea, because they obey God. This is interesting now. They're, uh, they're, they're facing an obstacle because they were obedient. Now, this is interesting. Because God leads them in this situation. <laughs> but this situation is orchestrated. Because it's the only way God can show them something about him that they need to see today so that they can step into their tomorrow. He's He's like, this situation is not for your destruction. He says, this situation is for your development. He says, he says, I want to use this as a teaching tool to show you a part of me you hadn't seen yet. You just seen the part of me that can get you out of Egypt. I'm getting ready to show you another part of me. <laughs> Watch this now. Watch this. Because in Exodus 14, 4, God says, I'm a hardened Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am God. What do you mean? (laughs) What happens here? He says the the Israelites feel like this obstacle is going to end them. But I really led them this way because I want to use the obstacle to end the thing that's trying to end them. The Red Sea wasn't for them. The Red Sea was for Pharaoh. Are y'all here? I'm going to say that one more time. He said, I led you this way, not because I'm getting ready to end you. I led you this way because I'm getting ready to end the thing that wants to end you. Because if I don't end him, he's not going to stop chasing you. You're never going to be at peace. You're always going to be looking over your shoulder. And since you have dealt with this from generation after generation after generation, I'm getting ready to put an end to it. And I need somebody to receive that with prophetic implications. God is saying to somebody, I'm getting ready to end this. I know it's been generation after generation after generation, but I'm getting ready to put an end to it. But I'm going to use something that you think is going to end you. Because what happens? What happens is... God sends tsunami-like winds to literally split the Red Sea. And Israel walks through on dry ground. They are walking through and Pharaoh sees what they do. And he's like, they don't have horses. They don't have chariots. They don't have what I have. So if they can walk through, certainly I can roll through. He didn't realize though, even though he had horses, 
even though he had chariots, they had a word. And what gets you through Red Seas is not your horses, it's not your chariots, it's the word. I don't have your education, but I got a word. I don't have your background, but I got a word. I don't have your money, but I got a word. I don't have your connections, but I have a word. And the word will do for me what your chariots want. And I want to ask somebody who is wondering and worrying about what you don't have. Do you realize what you do have? When you got a word, you can walk through what other people can't roll through. When you got a word, favor accompanies the word. And it allows you to do more with less. Quit thinking you got to have what Pharaoh has to do what God's called you to do. I hear the Holy Ghost saying to somebody, God's going to do this without it. (laughs) The reason... He hadn't gave you whatever your it is. It's because he's going to do it without it. So I'm going to do it without it. They get, so they walk through this Red Sea and God says, I'm going to end that. So, so he, he, he drowns Pharaoh in the Red Sea. He said, now, that's not your last enemy. But I need you to see what I did with this one. So that when you face the next one, you remember what I did with that one. I want want you to see this. I want you to see this. So they get to the other side, and they rejoice. They're excited. They're enthusiastic. Moses' sister Miriam gets a tambourine and begins to dance and celebrate, express appreciation for what God's done. It's incredible. They're ecstatic. Until three days later, they realize we have journeyed to a place where we haven't had water in a while. So we thirsty. We need... We need something to drink. And they come to this place called Mara, and they're like, finally, some water. And then they drink it. The Bible says it's bitter, which can mean salty. I want y'all to catch it. They're going days without something. Then they see what they think is going to quench their thirst. And when they try it, it's too salty. They had to feel teased. And I know you've never felt teased by God, but, but let me just talk to the seven people. Seven, seven people in the room and seven people online that... <laughs> you're like, okay, it's finally about to happen. And it's salty. Yeah, oh, 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 the, okay. The, oh, God has finally brought me to my expected end. And he's like, nah, that ain't it. You're like, but I thought this was finally going to be my breakthrough. He's like, nah, that ain't it. Can you imagine how they reacted before they drank the water? They saw the water. They probably started running. 
They probably start hugging each other. They just so happy. They probably start texting people. I knew God was going to do it. I knew God was going to work it out. See, I was worried about it and I knew God was. And now they run to the water and they taste it. And they say, this is bitter. They salty. And the text says, the object now of their ire and anger becomes Moses. That's the text. <laughs> hmm. So they become upset with him because they're disappointed in their circumstance. And as I was meditating on this story, I saw some exegetical, some metaphorical implications here that, that need to be considered. So they were expecting that water to be drinkable, and it wasn't. So there was an internal need that they thought was about to be met that was not met. And as a result of that internal need not being met, they felt disappointment. And because the disappointment was not managed properly, the disappointment turned into bitterness. And the person they became bitter with is not the real person they were upset at. But because they didn't feel comfortable expressing how upset they are with God, they project this now on Moses. Let me say this one more time. So... There's something, there's a need that they wanted met internally that did not get met. So they deal with disappointment because the disappointment is not managed properly. The disappointment becomes bitterness because bitterness is the result of unresolved disappointment. It is disappointment that is unresolved even though it may not be causing pain. Yes. Yes, there it is. Don't confuse bitterness with anger because they're not always the same thing. Yes. So they express it toward Moses when they're really upset with God because there's something I need. And I don't think you're providing it. And I don't understand why you got me out here like this. We all out in this wilderness. We followed Moses. And now I'm out here. I ain't going back. But I don't know what to do because you got me out here and my disappointment has me salty. And I begin to think about the implications of this for those of us who are in this room because God gives Moses instruction. He says, I'm going to give you a strategy. So take wood 
put wood in the water. I don't have to change your location to change your situation. I'm, I'm going to tell you what to throw in the bitter water. I don't even have time to make it sweet. See, sometimes you think you got to change your location to change your situation. Sometimes you think you got to change partners to change the relationship. And God's like, no, it can be bitter in one season, but I can show you what to throw in it. And if you throw the right thing in it, I can turn the bitter water to sweet water. I can turn the thing that was giving you tears of sorrow and cause it to give you tears of joy. I want you to see this family. Don't miss this. So that he does this and they drink. And then God says something that to me seems to be unrelated to their circumstance. I mean, he just gave them water. And this is what he says. He gave them water and says this. If you will listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what's right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and his decrees, I will not bring any of the diseases on you I brought against the Egyptians for I'm the Lord who heals you. I'm like, why are you talking about healing when their issue is thirst? It would seem like to me, logically, what you would say is, I'm the Lord God who provides. But that's not what he says. Their issue's thirst, but he's talking to them about healing. I'm like, nobody's sick. Nobody's dealing with sickness. Why are you using this situation to give us a revelation that you're the God who heals? Maybe it's because they were sick. Maybe they were not sick physically. Maybe they were sick emotionally. Maybe all of the trauma for 400 years of being in Egyptian bondage had their hearts sick so that they were fragile they were temperamental they were easily discouraged they easily went into downward spirals they were not hurting but they needed healing did you hear what I just said God's like I'm having a conversation about you about me regarding me being a healer because you need to know that even though you're not sick in the place you think you need to be sick for me to heal. He says the fact that you responded this way tomorrow, your response to disappointment, let's, are y'all following this? He's saying your response to your disappointment is an indication, Israel, that something in you needs to be healed. Because you just saw what I could do with water. You saw what I did with water when I drowned Pharaoh. And now I bring you to a situation where you're dealing with the exact same thing. And you saw me work a miracle in that area previously. The exact same elements. You know what I can do with water. But miracles don't stick when your heart is sick. You can't be convinced. You are unconvincible. 
there is nothing that God can do to convince you of his love. There's nothing that God can do to convince you of his power. There's nothing that God can do to convince you that you're safe and you're secure because miracles don't stick when your heart is sick. Paranoia will always be there. Cynicism will always be there. Skepticism will always be there. Fear will always be there because miracles don't stick when your heart is sick. So maybe the bitterness physically with the water can be a metaphor for bitterness emotionally. Because everybody watching me, you've had a Mara. What's Mara? Mara is, (laughs) it represents a place, a season, a situation that you thought was going to be one thing. But when you drank the water, it was another. Some of your relationships can be Mara. You thought it was going to be one thing, and it was another. Grief can be Mara. Mara can represent when you experience the unexpected. Whatever creates disappointment can be your Mara. And God's trying to get Israel to see this water not the problem. Is this is bitter water a problem when you're thirsty? Yes. He's not diminishing the fact that they got needs. He's not he's not discounting our hurt and pain. But what is what is God doing here? God's trying to get them to see and he's trying to get us to see that even though this water is the problem, it's not the dominant problem. I'm using this to show you the real problem I want to fix. I'm just throwing wood in this water to satiate you temporarily. But the water, not the problem. Is somebody betraying you a problem? Yes. That doesn't mean it's the problem. Come on. Is someone not managing you properly a problem? Yes, but it doesn't mean it's the problem. And so here's my question. Just think about this. Just pause for a minute. Think about this. What's been your most recent Mara? Because how you managed that Mara is a reflection of how you handled your Egypt. Darius, what do you mean by that? Mara being your most recent situation and circumstance that disappointed you. Egypt representing the season that you went through that has traumatic implications even if you ain't called it trauma. See, you don't have to call it that for it to be that. I hope I'm making sense here. And I think, I think this is the essence. This is the essence of what God wants to articulate to you and to me. Say, listen. Maybe like Israel, 
you confuse survival from Egypt with healing. He's saying you survived. But there's no way you go through that. And there'll not be some brokenness you're dealing with. That's, you can't go through that. You can't go through somebody making you try to build something you should be building with brick, with straw. You, you, I mean, you, you can't go through all that they went through and not need. You survived. You survived because you're strong. You survived because he's with you. You survived because you had no choice but to survive. But just because you survive doesn't mean you aren't hurt. And I don't, want to, I don't want you to confuse pain with hurt. Because some of you are not in pain. You're not hurting. But you're hurt. Because some of your pain. Gosh, I, can I, are y'all okay with this? I, I, I know I feel like I'm almost. Some of your pain, like Israel's, their unresolved pain manifested in a personality trait that was so pervasive that God told Moses, I can't do nothing with these people. I got to give you another generation. They are too temperamental, too fragile. They, they are unconvincible. Their time with Pharaoh has made them so jaded. They can't get their head around the fact that I'm a good father. So they're still following me with timidity and apprehension because part of them feels like they got to protect themselves from me. So they're protecting themselves from their protector. They're skeptical of the only one that can fix them because of the pain from the one that broke them. See, sometimes us being hurt doesn't manifest in pain. Sometimes it manifests in personality traits that if you carry them for so long, you'll think it's really you. Am I making sense? I said that, <laughs> that some unresolved pain can manifest in personality. It actually, we take on personality traits. And when we've had those traits so long, we can assume this is the real me. You know, I just don't trust people. You know, I just don't fool with people. You know, I just don't. And that is instinctively you, but it wasn't organically, ontologically, authentically you. Instead of applying a principle, you became a person. I'm going to say that one more time. When we experience pain, learn the lesson and then apply the principle, that lesson in the future. But don't let the pain shape you into a person. Learn the principle. I need to be more wise instead of adopting a personality trait that says I'm cynical. And I came today 
Because God wants to detect, watch this, he wants to deliver you from a personality trait that you think is you that actually isn't. That pain and not purpose has formed your character in a way that is inconsistent with who you're going to need to be for your next. And so God's like, Mara, not the problem. Egypt is. So let me reveal myself to you as the Lord who heals. And I'm going to tell you something. He's saying that kind of trauma requires divine intervention. And, and what I believe God's trying to do is some of you, he's not, he's, you know, I talked about delivering you from this personality trait. And some of this, like this personality trait, it, it's like some people would call it strong, but it's an inferior strength you operate in. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a false strength. It's a strength you have to conjure up. Because you use strength to survive. And thank God for that. But it takes God for you to heal. And so once you've conjured up this personality of strength, what does that cause you to do? It causes you sometimes to underestimate the reality of the damage that Egypt had on you. Watch this. In Jeremiah 6, verse 14, God is talking to Jeremiah about spiritual leadership. And this is what he says. He says, these leaders are not taking my people's injuries emotionally seriously enough. This is what he says. He says, they dressed the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. He said, these leaders are saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. underestimating what that season took out of you. You can't stand at an altar and say until death do you part and you mean it. And then one day you wake up and your eyes are open and you realize the person you said it to didn't. You can survive that. But you better believe that affects your heart. I was listening to a leader who's doing a vision talk the other day. And he said, I never heard my father say I love you. I thought, I said, man. He said, I never heard my father say I love you. You can't go through that and that not affect your heart. He still got rich. He still got famous. 
He's probably not hurting. That doesn't mean he don't need healing, though. Because I would ask him, I don't, bro, I don't want to know about your boat. I don't care about your boat. Because you can go out there on your lake and still be sad. Mara's not the problem. Egypt is. And I believe in this place today, what God wants to perform are emotional miracles. And this is what I mean. I mean miracles where he detaches the real you from the you that has developed as a result of your pain. Because until that detachment happens, he can't even deal with Egypt. An emotional miracle where he shows you, listen to me, this not you. It's not who I created you to be. It's not hurting, but you need, you need healing. And so today I want to pray for that. I want to pray for it. And I want you to release your faith for it. For God to work a miracle in your heart. I believe in therapy. I believe in intensives. I believe in all of that. But all of that has to work in partnership with the Spirit of God. And what some of you are going to receive right now is not a finished work. But some of you are going to receive the healing you need to actually start the work. An emotional miracle. And some of you are in a season where God's going to do something supernatural in your heart because the season that you're in requires that you get this done quickly. You don't have five, like, you don't have five years to work through this conventionally. You're in a season that demands wellness. It demands wellness now. And your spirituality is not your wellness. It should lead you to wellness. But you can pray and not be well and preach and not be well and get rich and not be well. This is I want to work a miracle in your heart. So, Father, you revealed yourself as the Lord God who heals from all diseases. Your word says that you heal the brokenhearted and bind their wounds. So there are people all over the world right now that need an emotional miracle. Father, they need you to separate these personality traits that have been formed as a result of pain from the real them. Lord, I pray that you show them the real them. Lord, show me the real me. Not the me that Egypt has made me. 
Not the Egypt, not, not the me that my situations and circumstances have made me. Show me the me you had in mind when you made me. Not the jaded me, not the suspicious me. Lord, show me the me with a pure heart. And Lord, make me into that version of me. Now pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you go to work. I pray you as a great physician would have spiritual surgery on the hearts of your people right now, Father. And I pray that you start uprooting bitterness and unresolved anger and questions. Lord, I even pray that you would minister to those who are mad at you. I hear you, Holy Ghost. That you would minister to those that are mad at you. They're disappointed that you didn't heal and they're disappointed that you didn't protect and they're disappointed that you didn't come through the way that they expected you to come through. And in the privacy of their heart, they're upset with you, Father, and they don't see you as a good father. I pray now that, that you would even minister to them. they would see you a good father who leads and shepherds them well so in every room we thank you your anointing is present in every location in people's homes cars set your people free we pray for a visible demonstration of this verbal proclamation. You are Jehovah Rapha. You're the God who heals. It is the children's bread. It is our inheritance. So heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All over every location change global change you in every location right now i want you to thank god for what he just did in hearts all over the world father we love you come on let's worship him come on use your mouth father we love you we thank you today for what you have done thank you for lives changed we declare we'll never be the same thank you for destinies altered we thank you for this we thank you that our future is bright now we thank you that you're doing a new thing i thank you we thank you for quantum leaps happening in the hearts of your people moving further faster in your great and mighty name As it is in heaven. I want to pray a benediction over you. And as I do that, I want to remind you of something we used to do years ago. This week, you are a king's kid. So this week, I want you to live like one. I want you to do four things. It's an acronym we call King. Number one, I want you to kneel. And that means not necessarily physically, but every day, I want you to get time with God. And if you don't know how to structure that devotional time, that's what Pathway to Purpose is for. We teach you how to do that. I, I want you to invite it means that I want you to take an opportunity to invite someone to either watch this message on demand or to watch our services or attend our services live on next Sunday. When you start reaching people with somebody else last name, God starts reaching people with your last name. And I want you to notice, I want you to, God's going to give you an opportunity to show love to somebody else, to help somebody. 
that's in need, you, 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 you'll be at a restaurant and you're going to sense, tip that waitress extra. She, she needs it. Or there's going to be an opportunity for you to, to engage in what we call a love illusion, to show God's love to somebody. And I want you to do that. And then G, I want you to guard. And that is we, we all have some imperfections. But as an ambassador of Christ, I want you to, and God wants us to manage those imperfections responsibly so that my stumbling doesn't become someone else's stumbling block. Live like a king. Kneel, invite, notice, and guard. Go into the world and change it. This is your portion and it is your purpose. Now may the Lord God bless you and keep you. May he cause his face of favor to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he protect you. May he provide for you. And above all else, may he grant you peace. This is my prayer for your life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.